All right, well, good morning. Um, it's a joy to be with you again this morning. And um, if you are new, we really want to welcome you. We are so glad that you've decided to worship with us this morning. And it's a, it's a joy to be able to share this time with you together. Um, last couple of weeks, we have been really focusing on specifically who we are as a church. We, we are a church um, that pursues Jesus together in everyday life. That's what our mission is as a church. We want to do that together. And so the last couple of weeks, we have been really focusing our attention on how. How do we do that? If you remember the first week, we talked about how, as a church, we want to be people who, who gather together and worship. And we, so, we spoke about how, how Jesus wants us to worship in spirit and in truth, and that our worship services, our goal of coming together every Sunday is not that we would be slick and creative and innovative, right? Our goal of worship service every Sunday is that we would be biblically faithful and exalt Christ together here on Sunday mornings. That's what we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings. Last week we spoke specifically about how we are also as a church, in order to pursue Jesus together in everyday life, we, we want to grow towards Christ-likeness. All right? we, want, we want to grow in our Christ-likeness. We want to grow in maturity. And we spoke a little bit last week about how much like every main street in Iowa City currently is under construction, if you are a follower of Jesus, likewise, your life is under construction. And this is a place that it's okay to come in and gather and be with people around you. And be, it's okay to not be okay right, when we gather right? because we're all growing in Christ-likeness. Um, this week we're going to focus specifically on what it means to go on mission, to go on mission. Now one of our hopes, one of the desired results of this series is that we would be able to communicate with you with absolute tremendous clarity what it means to make disciples here at Parkview Church and that as a result we would be united with this plan that, that really the elders have, have prayed through and have put together as far as what it means to be Parkview Church. And so uh, unity really is a desired outcome. Now, to that effect, this morning, I would like to talk to you a little bit about the Cubs, about the Chicago Cubs, okay? Some amens, maybe. Um, like any team, when, when the Cubs are, are really in a groove, when they are really seeing some success, or, or really any team in any sport, seeing some success on the baseball diamond, a lot of that can be attributed to how unified those players are. Right? How unified that the fact that there are different players with different positions, and whether you are starting the game pitching from the mound or coming in from the bullpen, whether you are a position player, whether you are known for a good batting average or for hitting the ball far and long, um, regardless of what you role, your role is, that you embrace that role and that they are united. They are united. Now, if you think about, let's just take the Cubs, for example, how Joe Madden, now I wouldn't put this, you know, this may be one of the tools that he uses to, to bring about this unity, but I would guess what the Chicago Cubs are not doing is going on a retreat, right? And specifically talking about unity all the time, just talking about unity, like holding hands, sharing feelings. That, that's probably not how they, the, the best way for them to become unified, that's not what brings them together. Rather, what brings the Cubs, or, or any team for that matter, together to see some success really is a common goal. It, it's a common goal. When they are together on a team and they have a shared vision for what they want to accomplish, one of the, the results of that is unity. It is unity. 
And I would suggest as we turn our attention to this last kind of very important piece in the plan for following Jesus together in everyday life and making disciples here in our community and abroad, this idea of, of going on mission, really should, we should see the exact same result. The best way to unify us as a people is not to get around and just always talk about unity. All right? That's not the best way to do it. Rather, the best way for us is what we're going to spend our time this morning reminding ourselves is that we share a common mission, right? We are, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are here this morning, you, myself, we together have a common goal. And my prayer is that just like you would see on a winning baseball team that everybody in this room, everybody that calls Parkview East home, would embrace, not only embrace this goal, but this, this mission would become the obsession of your life. And, and I think, I, I believe, that when that happens with us as a people, we will see a unity like nobody else, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you look like, regardless, regardless of all of that, we would be a unified people because Christ has given us a beautiful, beautiful mission. And my prayer is that would become the obsession of your life. For, for this morning, I, I would like to direct your attention to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read these verses and then I'll pray and, and we'll talk a, a little bit about them and, and specifically what they have to say about this mission that Christ has called each and every one of us to. So Acts chapter 1, if you have a copy of God's Word, I ask you to open that. Um, if you don't, Craig has some in the back. He'll come around and hand one to you. But let me go ahead and pray or, or read and then, and then we'll pray. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me pray for our time this morning. Father God, as we consider the mission that you have invited us to be a part of, Lord, that you have mandated us to be a part of, Father. Lord, I pray that this morning as we approach this text, um, we acknowledge that it is holy and it is sacred, Lord, and we do not approach it lightly, Father. 
God, we pray that you would send your spirit, that he would show us your son, Father, and that we would walk in obedience. Lord, we pray that you would take these words. We believe them to be eternal. We know them to be true, Father. We pray that you would write them on our very hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, you know, really the central idea of this passage, you could say is the central idea of the entire book of Acts. It's that God the Father is at work through his exalted Son by means of his Holy Spirit in the lives of his redeemed people for the purpose of his glorious message, for the spreading of his glorious message. My hope today is, is very, very simple, people. It is that you would, as you see this mission, this, this message that we are to proclaim, as you see it before you, that you would embrace it and that in so doing you would continue the work of Jesus. That you would continue the very work of Jesus. Recently I was um, reading kind of in my, um, my daily plan, I, w- I came across Psalm 67. And this is, I'm just going to step aside from message just real quick to point this out. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful psalm. And as we consider the idea of the mission that God has given to the church, that he has called us to, uh, to show just the magnitude, the beauty of this mission, and, and how so oftentimes we can step aside from the mission. Um, this, this passage just really slapped me in the face as God's word oftentimes has a habit of doing. Just read it real quick, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. I don't know if you have been around church long, but that is a a verse that is often very, very common. May, May the Lord bless us, right? May he be gracious to us. May he make his face shine upon us. And the truth is, if you call, you know, 21st century middle of America home, the reality is, to some varying degree or measure, the Lord has blessed you. He he has blessed me. Not to say our country or our times are perfect, because they are not, right? But in this particular place, and in this particular time, there is an unbelievable, like if you just scan throughout history on a global scale, there is an unbelievable amount of blessing that we experience in our lives. Like if you sit here this morning under these words, listening to this message, not because it's me teaching, but because it's you living here and now, you have been blessed. You have been, God has been gracious to you. And if you consider throughout history, the unique place that our country is in now, the tremendous amount of affluence and influence that we have in the world. The truth of the matter is we have been blessed. We have been blessed. The great danger lies when we stop at verse 1 and we don't keep reading the rest of the psalm. Listen to verse 2. That. Ooh, that's that's an important that right there. You have been blessed that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all the nations. God, you have blessed us so that your way, God, may be known over all of the earth. 
so that your saving power will be known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The blessing that you and I sit in this morning is not designed to stay just with you. Right? God has blessed us. He has blessed you. He has blessed me so that we would proclaim his name among the nations. It's the reason for our blessing. It's the reason for our blessing. This is a wonderful, a wonderful mission. It is an absolutely serious mission. So if you have heard a message in the past on maybe the Great Commission, right? I, I would just ask you for the next few minutes to just open your hearts, your lives to, to what the Lord is calling you, at, calling me as the church to. It's a big deal. Now, back in the book of Acts, as we look at the book of Acts, just a few things um, to kind of introduce just this passage. First of all, we know that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. This is the, Luke, the physician, the historian, who is also in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, told the story of, as he puts it in verse 1, you see, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. In Luke's gospel, that's what he, he told, was the story of Jesus and all that he did and all that he taught until the day he ascended into heaven. When Jesus began to do what he began to do in the book, in the gospel of Luke, he continues in the book of Acts. Even after his ascension, in, this, in his gospel, Luke gives the account of Jesus' life, his work, and his ministry on earth. Vital to understanding the, the book of Acts or anything as we, as we open this book and read just a few words this morning. Vital to our understanding of what's happening, what's being said. It's really important for us to understand that Jesus is still at work. Jesus is still at work. As this budding Christian movement begins to take root in the ancient Near East and the church experiences explosive growth over the region, it does so, we learn in this first chapter, because Jesus is still at work. Oftentimes people look at the subheading, if you have it in your text, and it's, it's oftentimes written in the Bible, the Acts of the Apostles. And in some ways that we may have relearned to give a different title to it. Maybe you're familiar, some people would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, really what it could be said is it is the Acts of the risen Christ through the Spirit and His redeemed people. That's really what's happening in the books of Acts. And as we think about where we are today in this particular time, in this particular history, we can say the exact same thing as you see in the book of Acts. Jesus is still at work. Because Jesus has ascended, he has poured out his spirit on us, on his church, he continues his work the book of Acts serves as a historical rem reminder that as we gather here in this place and as we prepare to leave from this place, Jesus is still at work through our church, through our lives. The Gospel of Luke in all its detail is so helpful for in it we see that the, how the Christian life is lived by a perfect man. The book of Acts is just as helpful as it shows how the Christian life, what it looks like as it is lived by imperfect men. 
So there's much to relate to for us within the book of Acts. For our time, for the sake of time this morning, we're going to really just focus our attention primarily on verse 8. Primarily in verse 8. I'll just read it for us real quick. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This, this verse really serves as, as, as kind of a, gives us a snapshot of even what looks like throughout the book of Acts. It, it tells us that we will be witnesses, that you will be witnesses, his disciples will be witnesses in Jerusalem. And if you were to look in chapters 1 through 7 of Acts, you would see just that, them witnessing in and around Jerusalem. Then you go on through chapters 8 through 11, you would see that, that they begin to witness in Judea and in Samaria. And finally in chapters 12 through the end of the book, you would see them witnessing to the ends of the earth. As we consider this verse and we think about the mission he has called on, really this morning I want to point out just three things. The first thing is the plan to go. The second thing will be the power to go. And the final thing will be the passion to go. So we have the plan, the power, and the passion. First, the plan to go. I want you to think, when we talk about plan, I want you to think in terms of who, what, and where. Who, first. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. He, he, he gives this particular mission to his disciples. They are called to be witnesses, to be witnesses for Christ. This is a message that we see over and over and over again. If you were to go through the book of Acts, uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Chapter 315, you call the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are Witnesses. We are, we are watching them be faithful to witnessing to Jesus Christ. We are witnesses. This is chapter 10 39. We are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Chapter 22, verse 15. You will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. This is nothing new within the biblical story. God's people have always been witnesses to his goodness and his greatness. I think of Isaiah 43. It talks about in verse 1, fear not for you have redeemed for for I have redeemed you. And then in verse 10, I have called you by name. You are mine. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Throughout the biblical story, God's people are witnesses. They are witnesses. They, they testify to how great God is and how good God is. And if you are here this morning and you have had an encounter with the living God, you have a story to tell. And when you tell that story and you testify to God's goodness and his greatness, you are witnessing. You are a witness if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a witness. This is a calling that has been placed on each and every one of our lives. Regardless of the stage of life you are in, how, how busy or how not busy you are, regardless of, of the resources God has entrusted you with, blessed you with, regardless of how mature you are in your spiritual walk, you are called to be a witness. We are all called the difference between the believer sitting maybe in their American home and, and one serving possibly in a foreign country, crossing ge geographical and cultural boundaries, the difference is, is, is one of location, not of identity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Regardless of where you are, 
If you are being sent to a different country, minister in a different context, or if you are at home, at work, at school, in a neighborhood, right? It is a difference of, of geography, not of identity, okay? You, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been blood-bought by him, you are a witness to him. Every Christian is a witness. Every Christian, you could say, is a missionary. That is who. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a witness, called to be a witness. What do we witness? What do we testify to? Witnesses of Christ bring a message that is a marvel of simplicity. It has been said before that Jesus Christ lived the life that we can't live. He, he died the death that we should die. And, and he has given us a gift that we don't deserve. That's essentially what our message is. The message that we proclaim is the forgiveness. Through Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins and the transformation of our very lives. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful message. Peter delivers the sermon at Pentecost shortly after the, the Spirit falls on them. He, 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 this, this, excuse me. <clears throat> he delivers a sermon in chapter 2. In verse 22, 24, I want you just to see that real quick. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God through him in our midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As, as Peter proclaims this message, and he does so at Many people are listening and hearing from different parts right, of the area, have come together, they've, they've seen what has happened, they've, they've seen this amazing event. Jesus pro, or Peter stands up and he proclaims, Jesus lived for you, died for you, has been risen so that you can be forgiven. And then he calls them, he calls them in verse 38. He says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is the message that we proclaim. It is the message of Jesus, that through him, what the work that he accomplished on the cross, that we, our sins, can be given. It is the message of new life, the transformation. The, the old has gone and the new has come it's a beautiful, beautiful message. That is what we are to proclaim. Where are we to proclaim it? For some of us, this may be difficult to even feel the impact of these words. Perhaps, perhaps we've read them and seen them many, many times. But yet you can imagine how much of a shock this would be to the disciples as they hear these words for the very first time. And as Jesus maps out the geographical designations this message is supposed to go. He says first it's supposed to go to Jerusalem. If you're a disciple and you're hearing this for the first time, this is remember where Jesus was murdered. Okay? And by taking the message of Jesus, the one they killed, to the place that they killed him, well, there's a good chance they might see the exact same fate. Right? This message is to go to Jerusalem. Could you imagine the disciples hearing that, right? Knowing that the persecution they would surely face. This message is to go to Judea, the very place that the message was rejected, right? What, what sense does it make it to take it there? They rejected us. They rejected the message. This, this message is to go, you are to be my witnesses in Samaria, Minister those who are not just culturally different from you, but at the time openly undesirable by you. Right? You don't want to spend any time with them, yet you are to witness, be my witness, even in Samaria. And he says to the end of the earth, even the Gentiles 
are to hear this message. The scope of our missionary heart here at Parkview East as followers of Jesus, we yearn for this message to be proclaimed both here locally in our very community and throughout the nations globally. And as a church, that is our job. We are to make disciples. We are to proclaim this message and to be witnesses in our community and throughout the ends of the earth. All right? That's, the, that's where this message is to be taken. All right? That is the plan that Jesus gives them. Now, now look at the power real quick, the power to go. Jesus tells us himself where this power is going to come from. As you can imagine, the disciples hearing these words thinking, like, I didn't sign up for all that, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, when, when I said I was going to you know, catch you, be a fisher for some men, I didn't know that was all involved, right? You should have told me that at the beginning, not the end, right? You can imagine the fear that they may be having. But, but Jesus gives them this amazing, this amazing promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, a brief 10-day interlude would pass, and then we learn that what Jesus has promised actually happens. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles. There were tongues of fire. Perhaps you remember the story in Acts chapter 2. People spoke in different languages and, and power flowed through the disciples. P Peter stands up, the, the little bit of the message I just read that he proclaimed, and he, he gives this amazing testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. And the result we learn at the end of that sermon is that some 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Right? He is speaking not by his own power, but ultimately by a supernatural power. Right? The Holy Spirit has been poured out on them, and, and Peter steps out and proclaims, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who God is and all that he has done. And we see this power as you trace the book of Acts and the disciples and the apostles and the way that the church begins to grow throughout the region. The only explanation that you can really give for what is happening is the fact that they have a supernatural power. Right? Later it talks about, I think it's in verse, in chapter 3, how they talk, no, chapter 4, remember we read it last week, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Right? That's how they are perceived by the people. Uneducated common people. And yet, God is working in their lives to heal people who can't walk. The lame man outside the gate called beautiful to heal that man. There is a supernatural power that is happening in their lives. It's unleashed in their lives. In boldness, these common, uneducated men proclaim Jesus to the very people who murdered Jesus. And throughout the book, we see them endure persecution, rejection, prison, stonings. They perform miracles, all the while proclaiming Christ boldly and advancing the kingdom. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the followers of Christ... The most unlikely people becomes, become fountains of power. When you, by grace and through faith, give your life to Jesus and receive the gift of life, he pours out his spirit in you. He clothes us with his spirit. Luke reminds us in Luke 24, 49, that the pouring out of the Spirit is not simply a great resource that we have at our disposal. The Spirit is absolutely essential to carry out His mission, right? It's not just like one of the, 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 the tools you have in your tool pouch, all right? That's not, okay, I got, I got God's Word here, I got His Spirit here, I got the saints over here. No, the Spirit is what is accomplishing the work through the people. 
Luke 24, 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In order for the people of God, equipped with the work of God and dedicated to the Son of God, to be faithful to the mission of God, they must be full of the Spirit of God. Right? In order for any of this to actually happen, we have to be full of God's Spirit. He is the one who is working at us. That is the power. The last thing is the passion to go. Uh, many of you maybe have heard of George Whitfield, the famous 18th century evangelist, one of the primary figures in the Great Awakening, which swept through Great Britain and the American colonies. During his ministry, he preached some 18,000 messages and is said to have proclaimed the message to some 10 million listeners. This is all happening in the 18th century. It's amazing, right? Amazing revival. And while ministering dur during a stretch in Edinburgh, people would get up at 5.30 in the morning to hear him preach. A man on his way one particular morning is, is said to have bumped into, around 5.30 in the morning, bumped into David Hume, the Scottish philosopher and skeptic. Of all the people to be going to an evangelistic revival, Hume was the last person this man thought he would bump into, right? Surprised at seeing him on his way there to hear Whitfield, the man said, I thought you did not believe the gospel. And Hume simply replied, I don't, but he does. Right? He, 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 George Whitfield, passionately was captured by, by zeal for God. And that passion was, was it spread. Right? It, people want to see that. And David Hume was saying, listen, he believes so passionately in this, I have to at least watch. I have to at least listen. There's something captivating by people who are, who are giving their lives in passionate zeal for God. The message we proclaim is a simple one, but the demand on its messengers is serious. For our witness to be effective, there must be passion, zeal for God. If Jesus has become stale, heaven forbid, in your life, he shouldn't be. He's not stale. But if he has, nobody wants that. Nobody's going to look at your life and say, well, let me have a little bit of what you got going on. You seem stale, dull, and boring. How do I get there? Right? That, guys, God, the God of this Bible is an awesome, an amazing God. And when you think about the lengths that he has gone to so that you and I can call him Father, that is a reality we have to remind ourselves every single day. There is an enemy who wants to take that truth from our mind, who wants to distract us with a million other things in life and work and, 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 and all throughout our lives. Folks, we have to preach this message, not just to the world every day, but we have to preach it to ourselves, all right? Or we will forget how glorious this truth is, how amazing this God that we serve that invites you and me to be a part of this mission. How amazing is that? It's amazing. You can picture the disciples gazing into heaven, complete amazement at what they had just seen as Jesus ascends into heaven in total awe of Jesus as he goes up. The zeal that these, that, that for Jesus, for these men, would become the fuel for their mission. But it wouldn't just be the fuel for their mission. It would also be the goal of their mission. John Piper is really helpful as he makes that distinction, right? That, that, that mission, going and telling others, isn't the end goal. Worship ultimately is. And the awe that we have for God is the zeal that propels us in mission, but it's also the goal of our mission, to make worshipers of Jesus. 
being effective in our witness, we have to learn this message, we have to live this message, and we also have to love this message that we proclaim. Now, before I close, I want to give just a couple of reasons in thinking through, you know, again, perhaps this is a text for some of you, if you've got much history around church, this is probably not, this is probably a very familiar text, right? And yet if we were to examine our lives, there's a good chance that maybe even right now, there's some of us who are faithful followers of Jesus, who, who, who want to pursue Jesus together. But if we look at our lives, we may be hard-pressed to find places where we are actually doing what he asks us to do in this passage, what he commands us to do in this passage. And so I want to think of just maybe a few reasons why maybe some of us why maybe you may be stagnant in this idea of making disciples, of proclaiming, of witnessing to Jesus. Just a couple of reasons. I think one possible reason, um, Wade is really helpful, is that he kind of thought through the mission of 24-7. I think your mission is that we want to love what Jesus loves. Am I saying that right? Somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah, love what Jesus loves. And I think one of the reasons why maybe some of us don't make disciples, aren't actively proclaiming, witnessing, testifying to how good and great God is to those who don't know him. I think part of the reason why maybe some of us don't do that is simply because we don't love what Jesus loves. The things that Jesus loves, we don't love. I think that may be one reason. Our lives, as we evaluate and look at them, they look more like the values and the idols of our culture than the values and the God of our kingdom, right? That is, we look at what's most important in our hearts, the things that grab our heart, that we give our time, our talents, and our treasures to, those things tend to be more like the values and the idols of our culture, not the values and the God of our kingdom. And I think that's a big reason why some of us are stagnant where mission is concerned. God has called each and every one of us, designed us to be the salt and light to the world around us. We are not mere imitators of the world. We are called to be influencers of the world. Missiologist David Bosch put, points out, churches are to be contrast societies, countercultures that show society what human life looks like, free from idols of race, wealth, sex, power, and individual autonomy. The problem for some of us is that our lives don't look any different than the lives of the world around us. They look the same, right? And as a result, why would we make disciples? Why would we proclaim a message that we ourselves really aren't even giving our lives to? All right? I think that's one reason. I think another reason that some of us may be stagnant in this area is that we um, would look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not spiritually mature enough. I haven't maybe, as you would say, arrived to a place where I should be telling anybody about Jesus. I got stuff, I'm under construction, Doug. I got stuff I have to work out. I have not, I'm not spiritually mature enough. Well, I think one really important thing to remember as we go over our plan for making disciples, pursuing Jesus together in everyday life, as we consider that plan and we talk about gathering, growing, and going, one of the things that we have to be very clear on is that this is not a progression Right? You don't gather for a little bit of time in worship. And then, okay, now after I've gathered to worship, now I can, I can grow in Christ-likeness. And then once I've grown enough, then you can fling me into the world and I'll tell the people about Jesus. Right? It's not a progression. Right? This is stuff that every single one of us should have in our life always. Right? Always. It's not a progression. You, because the truth is, folks, 
If you wait for yourself to be spiritually mature enough, you will never go and tell others about Jesus. Right? We are all always under construction. You will never be mature enough. So just get that out of your head. Right? Some of the most passionate um, evangelists, missionaries, people who proclaim Jesus, a lot of times the folks that are the most passionate about doing that, spreading this message, oftentimes are those who are the newest in their faith, the youngest in their faith, those who have just started the journey. And if you are here this morning and you are new in your relationship with Jesus, if Christianity is new to you, some of you will probably be the most effective witnesses that we have. Right? Don't wait. I, I, I was thinking a couple of weeks, well, this was last year. Colin, you can re- help me remember. I think it was in the spring. We had a teacher here at Faith Academy who was um, eating lunch. I want to share her name, put her on blast or nothing like that, but she was eating lunch during break. And um, she started to choke on a piece of food. And uh, we were in an office down here on the other end of the building. We heard um, what was going on. And, uh, you know, somebody came down and said, come, you know, it's about so-and-so is choking. So we, we run down there. And she was having a hard time breathing. And, and Colin, um, you know, grabbed the teacher and performed the Heimlich maneuver, right? And dislodged the obstruction in her throat. And she's still with us. It was pretty terrifying. It was, but it was, it was great, right? Let me tell you what did not happen. What didn't happen was as we were running down the hall... And we get in the room and we see her choking. Colin runs up to her. She didn't wait and say, hold on a second. Do, do you, let me see your certification. Have you, <laughs> do you know how to effectively perform the Heimlich maneuver? Do you know how to do that? She did not do that, right? She instantly was like, help, right? She couldn't say anything because she couldn't breathe, right? But oftentimes, I mean, I think like, that's the way we approach evangelism. You know what I mean? Like there are people that are lost, don't know Jesus, and who are dying every day, and they don't know Jesus. They will spend eternity from him. I mean, how ridiculous would it be for us to say, I have to take a class. I have to really understand all of the, and I'm not trying to discredit growth. We just spent a whole week talking about how important it is to grow in Christlikeness, all right, and to grow in maturity. It is important, but it doesn't keep us from spreading his message. Right? And, and the last reason that I would share, maybe, again, this is just a thought of why maybe some of us are hesitant to participate or, or maybe not quite embracing the mission that God has called us. This may just give me a mo- moment here to flesh this one out. But I think the reason why some of us may stay stagnant where mission is concerned is because we attend a church that always talks about it. You might think that's counterintuitive, but. Um, I think some of us can hide behind really mission-oriented churches. And we can say, I can exclude myself personally from proclaiming Jesus because I attend a church that proclaims Jesus. All right? I think some of us can do that. We can hide behind our mission-minded church. And as a result, our lives are not mission-focused at all. The mission that Christ has assigned to each of us should cost you personally, individually, something. You should be able to examine your life and see where you are personally engaged and active in this mission. It should cost you something. There's the famous story of William Carey, the great father of modern-day missions who blazed a trail in India in 1792. 
And he, he kind of told the story of how he saw his mission work as a miner who was penetrating deep into a mine that had never been explored before with no one to guide him. He said to Andrew Fuller and John Ryland, his pastor friends, I will go down in the mine if you will hold the rope. Folks, we are all called to this great commission. Again, no matter of whether our job is to send people, to give financially, to give freely, so that it does go to the ends of the earth, every one of us, every one of us is called personally to participate in this mission. And if you think of that illustration, you know, the miner going down deep into the mine, when he gets there, he could probably look at his hands and see scars and see them roughed up and beat up, maybe bloody, because of what it took for him to go down in that mine. Likewise, if you were to look at the very men standing at the top of the mine, lowering the rope, you would say, show me your hands. And you know what you would see? You would see the exact same thing from holding the rope. You would see scars, you would see, you would see blood, you would see marks from holding the rope. And so my challenge to you this morning is to simply just look at your hands. So look at your hands. And I just want to simply ask you, do you see anything there? Do, do you see anything? Because if you're not the one that's going down the mine, you should be at least standing at the top. They're, they're not like, there's not one that's more holy than the other, all right? Every single one of us has a call in our life to take this message, which we believe has transformed our life, and to proclaim it, to spread new life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Um, Lord, as we even just consider the fact that you see us as... um, in, in our sin, you see us in our sin, Father. Um, you sent your Son to die for us so that we could call you our Father. Lord, we thank you that as awesome and as amazing as that reality is, um, just, just to think that as you carry on your work in this earth, that you have enlisted each and every one of us to participate in it. Well, that is an awesome, awesome privilege. It is a serious calling that you have placed on our lives. And um, Lord, I pray that you would allow each and every one of us to be able to see, just with all honesty, be able to be real before you, Father. And as we look at our hands, I pray we wouldn't make excuses. I pray we wouldn't wait um, for a better time because one won't come. I pray we wouldn't wait for more resources because they, they may not come. I pray that we wouldn't wait for us to arrive to some spiritually mature place. Lord, there are people around us right now as we even leave this place who need to hear your, your goodness and your greatness. Lord, I pray that um, we would learn how beautiful and how rich the gospel message is, Lord. I pray that as we walk that we would live that gospel, Lord. Um, and as others see us, Lord, that they would see us as people who, who love that message as well. And it would draw men and women to you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the promise that that which you have called us to, we know, your scripture tells us, you will accomplish. And you've given us the power that we could be faithful. Lord, and I pray that your spirit would come and that it would fill us anew. 
Lord, and that we would proclaim um, this beautiful message to the world around us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.